We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. Electric People. We are sitting here today with the big bud himself. Mr. Ty Mickelson. What's up, brother? What's up, guys? Ty Mickelson has been in the industry for 16 years. Been a regional manager in Alarms, director of sales in Northern California for us. You've been a regional recruiter. You've been a top performing individual. You've been a top installing manager. And now you do a little bit of everything over at Solar. I'm excited to dig in and pick you apart today, Mick. Let's do this, dude. Let's do this. They call you the big bud. I know I've known you for a long time and I think you have a really unique uh, way of leading. You're known for, for leading with your heart. Uh, maybe talk about your, your philosophy on leadership and what's made you so successful. It's really easy. You just be the very best at what you're doing right now and it will happen on its own. And I, I just really believe that. Well, and the early leaders too, there's kind of like, a, there's kind of like, they're kind of like scarred by not having much help. I noticed like a lot of the guys that have been top performers, they have that story where it's like, hey, I showed up to my office, I was given a binder and like a Zig Ziglar quote and kicked out the door and I had to figure it out. Was yeah. it like that for you? <laughs> yeah, well, Chance, I got recruited by Jared Hallows and he's, he was an assistant manager at Chance, all red. Chance was my manager my first year. And I still remember I went out on the doors and chances that we, I wanted to sell preseason, which they didn't even do back then. They're like, what's this? I'm like, look, I don't have any money. I need to make money. And so anyways, I went on the doors. I think it's Pleasant Grove. I don't remember exactly where we were knocking and chance knocked the door. And like, I'm not joking. There was like another rep with me. He got rejected within like 30 seconds. And he's like, yeah, so that's basically what you do. Um, here's your brochure and like, go figure it out. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> this is how you do it, so, Ty. So like the the next sat that Saturday or something we went selling preseason or something and I, I got in a cell and I'm I'm in there convincing the guy he should hide his alarm panel in his closet because it would nobody would know where it was at and you know the technician told us like, there's in no closet. power in his closet and I'm like I'm like I, it made I didn't sense know to you. nobody taught me <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways no that, note to self yeah I, I learned that the hard way so Still that's amazing man. So talk about your background. We, uh, we just interviewed Castle Keeler, small town boy out of New Mexico. Um, you grew up in a small town yourself. Give us the quick version of raising Ty Mickelson. My dad's a coal miner, super hard worker, uh, phenomenal guy. Um, but yeah, my dad's actually uh, nicknamed the coal miner is a legend. I think he's been a coal miner there for, I think, 43, I don't know, 45 years. Should be retiring soon, but he's a really hard worker soft-spoken, doesn't really say something unless he needs to. Um, and then my mom was kind of stay-at-home mom, grew up with uh, two brothers, three sisters, um, three-bedroom house, you know. Uh, <laughs> we, I, I always joke with my, my buddies, I'm like, look, dude, I peed outside as a kid. Like, we didn't have, we only had one bathroom. Three sisters, you didn't have an option. So <laughs> I don't know if we can say that on the podcast, but <laughs> I grew up in a, I grew up in a, pretty humble home. I mean, my, my, our needs were always met. And uh, I, I, I loved, I grew up in Salina, Utah, amazing people. Um, it's a mining town, um, farming town, farming community. Some of the greatest people come from that area. And I just learned a lot of principles from that, from growing up there of just, uh, you know, you kind of work hard, you put your head down and you don't complain. It's kind of my- dad's still, Your dad's still down in the mines? 
my dad's still in the mines and my brother is actually a coal miner and my brother's a salt miner and, uh, and I'm, I'm actually all my brothers and sisters actually live in um live in or around salina still so i'm the only one that's uh, where is that's where is salina it's down by like manti richfield central utah it's very center of the state yeah. a lot of the but a good place, a lot of the man. coal burned out there powers this in california yeah yeah, it does. Majority of that power actually goes to the Delta power plant and they, they burn it and then it goes actually to um, California, if I understand it right. So, but yeah, they, but it's, it's good. My dad's a my dad's a great guy. I learned a lot of principles from from hard work. And I think, you know, a lot of us, if you look at your childhood and stuff, and I, I think um, I, I try to think of a couple of things I learned from my dad was, you know, one time and he probably doesn't even remember this but i was a kid and i was uh i got my first job and uh and i remember i kind of i i mean i i'm a goof off right i was always in trouble and i was always screwing around and having a good time in school and stuff and i remember my dad um he uh he he gave me this idea i wanted to do my job and um he gave me this line he's just like he's like when you're home you can be tyler but when you go out in the community and you're working, you're Mickelson and don't bring disrespect to our name. And that always sat with me where I went to my job and I went into the area. I was like, wow, I was like, oh, I got to have some respect. Like I got to be a hard worker like my dad. So any job I took on, like I was a Denny's dishwasher. I'll tell you what, dude, I was probably the best in the business, dude. I freaking dominated <laughs> that thing. And, you know, and then I worked at Pepsi, you know, I feel like I did pretty good. Still got the soda addictions, but, uh, you know, picked so, up a habit yeah, learned, working at Pepsi. Picked up a habit or two. So, <laughs> but, but yeah, I'm, I'd say that's probably the great thing I learned from my dad is that community where everybody kind of knows each other. And my dad's saying that it's it's kind of stayed with me too. A lot of times when I go out there, you, I think a lot of times we don't realize the the value of our name and that there's there's a lot that goes with your name if you actually respect it and you want there to be respect there. That's really Ty, cool. when you're. When now when you're teaching your kids how to wash dishes, is it kind of like when John Wooden taught the Bruins how to like tie their shoes? You know what I mean? Like he's <laughs> showing them how to, like you're showing them the proper way to wash a dish. But I'm I'm a rinser. I'm a rinser from Danny's. I'm a rinser. So that's that's for sure. <laughs> have they have they replaced that job by a machine yet or no? They still got a, a still got a generation of rinsers. Wait, man, you can't hand what you can't you can't. I mean, there's dishwashers, but you can't hand wash. Dishes like you, you can't machine wash dishes like that at a restaurant. Uh, yeah, did I don't either think you guys I've ever have a paper out. Like Twenty years. Um, I did have mm -hmm. paper out as a kid. Well, yeah, I did. Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett talks about paper boys. I heard him say once that you know one of the problems with like this younger generation is there's no paper routes because you just learn like when you're a kid and you have a paper route. You know, I grew up in Seattle and I had a paper route. It's like it doesn't matter that it's raining. People got to get their newspaper. You know what I mean? And uh, he talks about that being like a trait, but it's the same thing, right? Like same thing with being a Denny's dishwasher or whatever. I think it's, I think it's impressive when you can learn at a young age that if a job's going to be done, you got to do it well. And there seems to be no better place than like small towns, apparently in Utah, that instill that in people. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. Ty, uh, Ty Mick, I guess rather something that I've always been impressed with you is you always are happy and it always seems like you're in a good mood and you may not even know this, but when back in, I want to say 2007, 
uh, I had just left a company I was working for and I came to check out Platinum and that's where you had just finished, I think your first summer there. And, uh, Will, you've never seen anyone recruit in a, in a conference type setting or recruiting type meeting setting like Timec does. So, um, I remember sitting there in this big, huge meeting, I think it was at the Marriott and Provo. And you may remember this tie, but Tuesdays, uh, man. Mick got Mick got up and told this story. I can't. And I'm trying to remember it. And Mick, I hope you can fill in the blanks here. But it was something about feeling this urgency, and you ended up knocking on some lady's door. And uh, do you know what? Do you know the story I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, it was one that the trainer was training in the conference. The energy in the room was like dead. And he was like, just yep. the wheels on the bus were falling off. And I was like, I was looking around. We got like 200 people in there. I'm like, this is, this is not going good. Like, we got to fix this. In the fast. room and you're panicking. Yeah, I was panicking. <laughs> so I just stood up and walked up there nicely and was like, hey. I'm like, hey, buddy, mind if I interject a story real quick? And uh, he's like, sure. And I just kind of took over. I don't know what happened. But, uh, but I just told him the story. I remember when I was knocking my my first year yeah and that chance you know chance is he's a great leader chance is a great leader. i've learned a lot from chance and and uh and jared howells too those guys are phenomenal leaders but uh i knocked to this door and they told us like look don't like don't back down like you guys you guys have like you know you gotta have confidence you go to these doors with confidence and i'm like all right you know and i was terrified of no soliciting signs i'm like oh this says no soliciting i'm like we don't you don't just don't bug people you know and so anyways i had this huge training on no soliciting signs and and, uh, you know, and anyways, I, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go up there and I go to this house and there's like a no soliciting sign, like on our mailbox. And I'm like, uh, okay. I go walk the garage. There's like a no soliciting sign in the garage. I'm like, uh, okay. So I like step past that one. And we just had this training. So I'm like, I'm going to overcome this fear. And then I walk around the corner. It's like the big sign. That's like, there's like two of them. That's like no soliciting. And it's like, absolutely nothing religious, blah, blah, blah. And this lady, this grumpy old lady, opens the door. I ring the doorbell. I'm like, I'm overcome my fears. I'm overcome my fears. I'm overcome my fears. <laughs> she opens the door. And she's like, what do you want? And I'm like, ma'am, I'm here to protect America one house at a time. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, so anyways, I sold the lady. And, uh, anyways, I ended up selling her an alarm system. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know how I got that pitch, but it only worked one time. It worked great. So, <laughs> so, yeah, that's amazing. Well, yeah, that it's, it's funny because I remember you told that story and you just have this energy about you that's attractive. And I think it's, it's magnetic. Like it just, everyone's your friend. And that's why, you know, they call you the big bud, right? I mean, you're just friends with everybody. And that was one of the, that was probably the night that I made the decision to come work with platinum. And I remember laughing at that event and just being impressed with you and all the other guys that were there. And so, um, Yeah, it's been, it's probably, it's one of those things yeah. that you don't ever know, like the impact that you'll have on people. But that one story, like I was just giggling uh, all night, like thinking about it. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, these guys just seem like a fun group of dudes. I'm just going to go work with them. So, well, that's that kind of it. your essence, Ty. Like uh, one of the things that, um, that I happen to know about you is that you're such a, you're such a relationships person um, and that you actually get joy from it. I, you know, I'm almost thinking as you tell that story, like what rep in a room like that thinks I need to save this meeting, right? I mean, probably people felt that it was awkward, but 
to be the one that's invested in everybody else's experience. So maybe talk about like your philosophy on relationships, because that's a big secret to your success. I mean, you're you're connected with people that you worked with 15 years ago that you went to school with, that you served with in different capacities. Um, maybe talk about that so that leaders understand maybe how to how to maintain those networks and how to think about those relationships. I think, I mean, if you everybody does a job for a reason, right? And I, I feel like I feel like for me, the job is more about relationships than anything else. Um, like, what job in the world can you choose? Like, hand choose who you want to work with, right? Like, I that's why I love it. Everybody's like, "Oh, you're a great recruiter. You're a great recruiter." It's like, well if you were smart, you would be a great recruiter too, because then you hand select who you work with. And that's what's fun is like, you want to surround yourself with people that gives you energy and gives you excitement and creates great memories. Like, like who cares if we made millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars for the next couple of years? Like that doesn't matter. It's the memories that are going to stay with everybody. So I always have philosophy is like, let's create memories. Like that's the whole thing is like create good memories. And it's even the same thing on the doors. Like if you're out there on the doors and you give up or you didn't you didn't do what you needed to do or you didn't stay out there and hold yourself accountable, you didn't create a memory. You gave up, right? It's the same thing in a relationship. Is like there's all these people. I mean, I've had falling outs with people or whatever else. We get off on it. But I've probably mended every relationship I've ever had because I feel like there's no reason not to have um, that relationship there, right? It's It's really – it really is like – there's nothing really more important in our life than the relationships we have and the, and the ability to influence people for good. And I, I don't know, I, I just, I love people. It gives me a lot of energy. And I think um, that's what makes this job so fun. And that's what makes leadership so fun is the people you get to work with and help. And that's what gives me the energy to keep going. Um, Cause it's, I mean, it's a, it's a grind. Our job's a grind. And if you're not enjoying the relationships and you're not even enjoying your customers or you're not enjoying that stuff, it's hard to like, have energy to keep going the money will only drive you for so so long right but if you're creating memories and as i just look back and you know i thought about some of the funny times is, is like you know in my leadership and like my teams when i was running teams and like all the just the stupid stuff we did and the funny things we did like that's what brings me joy like you know every time i run into somebody that's an old friend like i was just uh who was i talking to oh I just actually, I just sold solar to my, uh, one of my old cell, my old, old alarm guys actually yesterday. He lives out here and he, te- he messaged me. He's like, yeah, I need solar, come over. So, uh, but anyways, he was just telling me about 2010, our Houston crew, we were just laughing about all these stories. And we were like in tears in this house, just laughing and all this stuff. And that's what it's about is like, that's what life's about. Like, it's really, who cares if you made millions of dollars, if you broke everything along the way and you ruined all your relationships. Um, Really, true happiness really comes from the people that we can help and the people around. You know what? That made me There's remember. There's been so many. Yeah, go I, ahead, Ty. I was saying that I've never thought about, um, you know, creating memories as a leader. Yes, like having the culture things and the trips and the funny stories and stuff like that. But I had never thought about it with regard to personal work. Like you're out in a neighborhood and you give up and you didn't create a memory. It made me think of um, the first year I managed a team was 2007. When was your first year as a manager, Ty? 2007. Dude, we've, we've been side by side like 
throughout our careers kind of. Oh, um, I, I knew you and your brother well. Oh, I knew, I knew you. your names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, and then you met me and you're like, oh, he's a skinny fella. He's a little guy. No. <laughs> I, 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 always pit, I always pictured you as a big burly guy with a beard. I don't know why, but I always did. <laughs> William Wallace is seven feet tall, man. So uh, anyways, I remember 2007, I was leading this team and I had all this like confidence going into it, but I remember like, as I was dealing with stuff for the first time, it was really hard. And there was one Saturday in particular, I remember this and it came up as you were telling that story. And it was like 5.30 at night on a Saturday and I didn't have a sale yet, which on a Saturday, you know, the leader usually has two or three by then. And everybody's going to dinner as a team that night. And I started to feel that panic, you know, that panic where you, your brain starts thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna sell. And you have to like force that out of your head. And I was, I was getting short with people and I was just, I wouldn't have bought an alarm for me that day, you know? And I actually called Jordan. It was an emergency situation. I called my little brother who's, you know, managing with me for the first time. And I was like, hey, I need to hear your door approach because I'm full tilt. I'm, I'm full tilt right now, you know? And so he like <laughs> my little brother and business partner, but at the time is like coaching me through this and lets me hear the door approach. And I worked for another hour or two. I sold one that day, one. And I'm so proud of it. You know, like those are the kinds of things that that's that's a really interesting way to say it. We're like, hey, make a memory. Don't let this be about the time that you quit. So I have countless memories with the yeah. guys, but I also have those personal times where I was like, wow, that was and that was 2007. I mean, geez, that was 12 years ago. I still remember the neighborhood, you know. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. I, I made a personal goal that I wouldn't bagel um, ever for like, I think it was. 2006. So 2006, the summer 2006 in Minnesota, I never bageled. I sold every day. I never had a bagel. And that carried it over to 2007 in St. Louis. And I remember I had been through the whole summer and I was the second to last week of the summer. And I was at like 12 on the week, but it was uh, going in, I think it was Friday or Saturday. I can't remember. And I just was striking out. And I was like, man, I got to get a sell. I got to get a sell. I got to get a sell. And I remember I, I literally... I was at, it was, I, I knocked out like nine o'clock at night. And, and uh, I remember I was in Cahokia, Illinois. And, uh, and I, I knocked this beautiful red brick house in the middle of Cahokia, which if you've been to Cahokia, you know, that's not that normal. And, uh, and anyways, uh, I was like, oh, perfect. I sold them. I got in the house. And then I literally felled credit. And I was like, oh, <laughs> right. I'm like, no, I'm like, no. And so anyways, I was driving out and I had my head down and I was just kind of in the shambles. I didn't know how to like confront my team with bageling. And so I was driving out and I looked over and I saw this guy in his garage that I'd talked to a couple days before. And it was literally like, I'm like, it was like 930. It was late. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, guy. I like pull over in his garage. I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, guy, like, remember me? I'm like, sorry, I'm just so busy. I'm like, I've just got, I got a lot going on here. I haven't come back. And I up selling him, but it was cool that I finally got like two years without bageling and then, you know, it changed when I was a regional manager. But like that was creating a memory where like as I set that mentality, that, that was my mentality. Like there's I didn't feel like if I was a leader that I could be a good leader if I was hot and cold. And I feel like that, you know, and and alarms i did really well at that where i was just like set that mentality of like i'm doing two a day i'm not going to be hot and cold as a leader because the worst thing you can do as a leader is be hot and cold you need to just be lukewarm and 
you're going and they know it's consistent it's safe they know exactly what's going to happen versus being this roller coaster of up and down yeah people mm. won't people won't trust you if they don't know what to expect right yeah you know it's interesting when you were talking earlier about maintaining relationships i actually i have several uh, personal experiences with time mick where he's actually called me to remind me to maintain some relationships and uh, when we first started solar out in Boston in 2012, um, so there's two things, uh, Timek, uh, he had a big network of people from his alarm days and there was a lot of guys looking to move to solar and I didn't really have anyone associated with Vivint Inc at the time. And so Timek just started sending me guys all the time and we didn't really know each other other than just being acquaintances from the platinum days. And, uh, so Ty actually helped kind of build the foundation of Boston. I mean, with Howard Nell and Darcy Barris and Carl Crossland and uh, Eric, Eric um, Israelson, yeah. and all these guys, um, Jordan. And, and I mean, Ty literally probably helped me more than anyone else kind of get Boston, uh, the foundation out there. So a lot of our Boston roots are, you know, in debt to, to Ty Mick sending all these guys out to us. But it's interesting that years would go by and I'd get a call from Ty and I'd see his name on my phone and I would instantly think, crap, who have I not been paying enough attention to out here? Like instantly, because I knew that he was going to call me and like reprimand me for not doing a good job with one of his guys. And um, sure enough, he'd be like, hey, how's everything going, Adam? And I'd just kind of be waiting for it. And he'd be like, so anyway... Uh, yeah, I was talking to Carl the other day and, you know, he'd like go into this thing and I'd be like, oh, I like, he's right. I haven't talked to Carl in like four, you know, four weeks or whatever. And so, but it's just a testament to how important those relationships are to you. And I mean, anyone that's trying to build something big, you have to do a really good job at maintaining those. So um, how do you do it? Because I, I feel like that's a really hard thing to do sometimes is to constantly be maintaining relationships. I mean, I, I feel like that's just something that not everybody can do. Yeah. I, I think it's one, it's just a decision too, right? Like I get energy from it. So I don't call people out of a habit. Like I don't call people cause I feel like I need to call them. Like if I have, if I'm driving down the road and I get an impression, like I wonder how this guy's doing, I call him. So, you know, it's like I randomly called, I don't know who it was the other day. I called him out of the blue, just this random like person. I just felt impressed to call in a sense. Like, just, hey, hey, wonder how this guy's doing. So instead of like wondering how he's doing, I just call him and say, hey, dude, how's life, man? How's it going? I was thinking about you. I was laughing about this experience. And then that's just how I feel about it. Like, I just love people. Like, I love, like, I mean, I've been blessed to work with some of the funnest people in the world. Like, I just love like the guys that I've been able to, and that's the hardest part right now with solar is that I don't get to work with as many guys as you'd like to, you know, cause you're kind of segregated. You kind of have to work your part of the country, you know? So, but I, I think it's just, if you get thoughts and impressions, another thing too is like, and actually Jordan Williams has helped me with this a lot is one thing I struggled with is hard conversations with people. And, and Jordan's been pretty good at helping me learn that one too. And, and I've gotten better at doing that as well, where you need to have hard conversations with people as well. And even if like things bug you or like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's important that you maintain that relationship and that you, that there's a piece there and that you guys are 
are pushing each other, helping each other. Anyways, that's, that's one of the things it. that I, that's one of the things that I hope we could touch on is, um, leadership's kind of about transitions and evolution. A lot of times, like once you get to be a leader, that's when your growth is like most important to continuously get better. So maybe talk about that a little bit more, how you go from being the big bud, cause the big bud's everybody's friend, but in your position, you can't always be talking about things that are happy or talking about things that are super popular. So when you say that, I mean, sometimes you need course correction, right? Sometimes you have to make a decision in the best interest of the business that's hard for other people. So maybe talk about that path. How have you done it? And, and what um, successes and failures have you had as you've learned to maybe navigate those difficult conversations as well? Can we skip this one? Really? <laughs> no, just I, I, I honestly, that's probably one of my weaknesses to be honest with you is, I mean, I, I definitely have the hard conversations, but it's something I've had to really force myself to grow into, um, especially the last little bit. Um, when I first came to NorCal, I was really good at making Jordan the bad guy. I was like, hey, Jordan, um, this is, uh, you might want to call this guy, just just know. You're yeah, like, fire. listen, dude, I <laughs> wish that you could just have all the money. Jordan here, no. <laughs> <laughs> true, I'd make him the bad guy all the time. He was such a good bad guy. I loved it, dude. I'm like, hey, Jordan, is Jordan? Is this Jordan? I mean, I pretty much did it today, too. So, but anyways, but, uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, your question is basically just how do you come from being friends to basically business, right? Evolution, right? Like that's something that in order to be effective at our jobs and push people to develop, we have to have conversations that are difficult. Yeah, well, I actually enjoy that part of it. So sorry, I understand your question. But yeah, so I enjoy that part probably the most is actually sitting with people and seeing their potential and then helping them draw out a game plan or helping them reach another level. Um, there's so many talented people, but we lack inside of us really like we, we lack confidence. We lack, we lack a vision. Um, a lot of us, we didn't have parents that taught us that. And so it's not a natural thing. And so people just think all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm just going to be confident. Like that's, yeah, there's people that are like that, but it's not normal. So I like teaching people, hey, this is how you have confidence. Hey, this is how you get a vision. This is how you get, you know, whatever the situation is, I love helping people get to the next level. Like that gives me a lot of energy and seeing people progress because progress equals happiness. If people aren't progressing, they're not happy. And I think that's the thing. And then a lot of people look at that as like, maybe like a leadership thing. Well, if I'm not progressing in leadership, that's not true. You can be progressing as an individual. You can be progressing in your marriage. You can be progressing in relationships. You can be progressing in so many different areas of your life with, you know, God, church, however you want to do it. And I think sometimes we think that unless I have a title or I'm in this position, then I, you know, I'm going to progress to this. But I think there's so many areas of our life we can progress in and get better at. That's, I get a lot of joy out of having those conversations with reps. Um, and it's fun. You know something? Uh, we talked to your wife. Um, oh, just, oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Me and Adam check in with Brooke about once a week. I, it's, it's weird she didn't tell you that. Um, but one of the, the second thing that she sent to me was he truly thrives off seeing others succeed. He's fueled by the success of others. It's interesting. Right? That's, that's yeah. a really cool thing to be known for. But, you know, Adam's question earlier is how do you do that, man? How do you keep up with all these reps? Because it's another thing to do. But when you, I think you've identified what, what you're good at, what fuels you, and you kind of lead through, I guess, happiness through other people's achievements. This is probably why you have so much energy for it. Yeah, it's fun. Like, 
think about it. like if you're only if you're only worried about yourself like think of people that you know that are only worried about themselves they're the most like either eager they, <laughs> they have the biggest ego or nobody likes them or they're in a dark corner okay or they're on this island where they think that they're like something that everybody else thinks they're not right and so you know it's just like you look at is like how do you want to grow in life well we progress in life by helping our friends and helping our family and and helping people in need like that's how we grow we don't just do it by ourselves and i feel like sometimes with our job or with leadership you know we want to point the finger or whatever else but a job as a good leader you're in the trenches with people you know who they are you know their family problems you know all the details and you know it takes a lot of time that's the hard part too is like it takes a lot of conversations and actually sincerely sincerely caring and listening whereas a lot of people like a uh, rep will come in to pour pour out their heart to you and you got a lot of these managers that they're just like yeah that's interesting hmm yeah uh-huh and really they're scrolling on instagram like that shows them like you know it's like they're liking posts on instagram as this person's trying to you know pour out their heart and reality is is that you know you need to really genuinely care as a leader like great leaders they had a vision and they were passionate about that vision and they wanted to win but they didn't want to win they want they knew that winning was everybody winning not just them and that's kind of how we look at it right now in core and like we try to grow is like all of us growing and winning together is us winning, not just me winning or anybody else. I look at it as, you know, I, I don't really look at myself, to be honest with you, as a sales director. Like, I, I just look at myself as somebody that I go in and I do my job. I don't like titles. I don't like that stuff because I feel like titles, I mean, they're important, whatever else. I just don't like it because I feel like that's it separates you from the group where I like to be part of the group. And so when you have a title, sometimes it puts you out of it. So you got to be able to bring yourself back into the group as a leader and separate yourself from that title. Because, I mean, your reps won't always have the same conversation with you as they will with other people in the office. And you know you're doing a good job of communicating when they're having that conversation with you over the office. I've had that thought so about I've got titles a question. before. Um, so I... One of the things, Ty, I've been really impressed with you is you you made this transition from being a regional manager over at Vivint Smart Home, and then you you didn't fully like make this transition to regional to sales director, right? There were some pit stops in between, and I don't know if it was just a reluctance to move. Uh, you know, I mean, you built this life out in Utah, right? You had a beautiful home, you had all these things going for you. Um, what what? was the thing that kind of pushed you over the top to really take advantage of the solar opportunity and then along the way i mean how did you sort of i guess work through even the mental challenges of like leaving this thing that you had a really good situation over there and then you kind of had some of these pit stops along the way where i almost feel like they were kind of placeholders for what you're doing now so can you kind of walk yeah. us through that time period of your life and then ultimately what was the the you know the thing that gave you the final nudge to make the decision to fully commit yeah i i uh i think my ideal like i think sometimes in life we we think that we know what our perfect life should look like and so we build out this perfect life in our mind where we're like oh if i could be like this is perfect life so me as like if i could have a beautiful home in utah and i'm making x amount of dollars a year like that was kind of my mentality. And I had at least 20 hours a week of bud time. 
you know, golfing, you know, that was kind of my, my ideal, like built out, like perfect life. Right. And, but the, the problem is, is when we build out what our perfect life is, it's not going to, we're not going to grow. Um, most of the time, like what we're going to do is we're going to focus on really just like com comfort and really just like what, where can we coast in a sense is kind of how I looked at it. And I didn't realize like for me, I didn't really progress for quite some time as a leader. Like I actually had a really dark time at Vivint where I almost left Vivint Solar, to be honest with you. And I got really negative and I, I just wasn't a good leader. And I, I kind of fell apart and, and, and I wondered why I had to kind of like dig in and like do some, some soul searching, you know, and chance had brought two leaders in over the top of me. And I, I feel like I'd, I'd grown Utah and I'd done all this work and I was, I was really, I was really mad. I was like, I was like, I don't get it. But then like hindsight, looking back, like it is what it is, but I almost left and, and I really did almost leave. That's the furthest that I've ever, closest I've ever been to leaving. Cause I was just like, you know, I'm going to go build on my own. I got enough relationships that I could do enough damage to Vivint Solar. Like I was literally that mad where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, you want to play? We'll play. And like, that was like my mentality. And I hated that. I, that's not who I am. And so I took a step back and I was like, I, I just kind of was like, what, what do I want? Like, who am I? And, and that's where I, I was looking at it from a, an outside perspective. And, and, and I decided to start working with the leaders that was there and changing my mentality and bringing fuel to them instead of like, instead of, in a sense, being negative and thinking of only kind of what I wanted and and what made me really make the big decision, I guess, in a lot of stuff was when you humble yourself and you're just willing to grow and you're willing to like just take the punches and just keep going. Like growth equals like, like I'm a little bit chubby because anytime I go to the gym, okay, and it starts hurting, I usually stop, okay? <laughs> I've noticed that because I started going to the gym with my wife and she keeps doing like another hundred lunges beyond what I do. Okay. But I feel like I'm like, okay, that's what it is. But, but I think in life, sometimes we go right until we're going to grow and then we stop. And that's what I kept doing in life was I would keep going and then I'd get ready to grow or like evolve. And then it was like, okay, I'm comfortable. I'm going to coast. So you got to look at it. And I think that's where I was kind of tired of it. I was like, look, I want to go where I'm going to grow. And I, I kind of made like a thing. I was telling Brooke, I'm like, I just feel like I'm open for anything. Like I'm open for anything. Like I was literally like, I don't care like what I'm doing. Like, if it's Vivint Solar or whatever it is, I just want to, I just want to be like the best I can be and like go and start using my talents and grow. And uh, it's interesting. I, we literally had that conversation. I was like, look, we just got to be open to anything. And then um, Ty Williams calls me like the next day. He's like, Hey, can we meet? And I'm like, uh, okay, this is weird. So then, then I'm going to NorCal with Ty cause he wanted to me to go there. But, but long story short on that, the whole mentality. I, I, I taking a step back, I've been through a lot of ups and downs in leadership and selling and just this whole job and everything else. And, and, and I just would challenge everybody that's listening is that you've got to look at your attitude. Um, attitude is everything. Like how you see yourself and how you see everything is, is reality and don't have tunnel vision, like take a bigger step back and maybe step back out of it and, and take a bigger look of what, what's really going on. And, and the thing that I learned from it was instead of me taking a personal that chance chose somebody over me, I finally took a step back and said, you know what? I'm probably not the leader I need to be. That's why the call was made. And so I need to step up my game if I want to be a good leader. And it's probably best for the people. 
And when you make that decision, then you're ready to step up. But a lot of times it's you having to admit to yourself that you weren't ready or you're, you're not ready to, I guess, get to the next level or whatever. What's cool about that is um, I remember those dark days and I remember thinking, hey, dude, you're not you're not being yourself right now. But after this last year, I mean, your region doubled in size last year and you're a lot happier. Right. So you're talking about titles and stuff like that. It's like and and like the the mentality and stuff like that. It's like when you just set that stuff down, you can go really fast. And what it sounds to me is you got back to your core, which is the name of your region, but you got back to your core, which is, hey, I'm going to add value to people. And once you did that, dude, you just exploded. But before we get off topic, you mentioned the gym. I was going to mention it, but you mentioned it. (laughs) An excerpt from Brooke. He is hilarious to watch at the gym because he's too scared to push himself too hard. He keeps telling me for the past 10 years that he's easing into it because he doesn't want to get hurt. (laughs) Oh, and if you guys don't know Brooke Mickelson, like I think of that picture where she was getting into that competition and just is like shredded to pieces and Ty's just easing into it. I'm just easing into it over here, you know? Well, I'm just scoping things out, making sure everybody's safe. You know? <laughs> checking out the checking out the weight, straightening up the racks. He's just, yeah. you know, making just getting sure ready to dive good. in. Tyler, <laughs> did you or did you not drive a golf cart across the country with Adam Cox? That is true. Story, please. <laughs> oh, I was in Denver, Colorado. I was running the team, and uh, oh, dude, Cox, dude, we've been friends for years. I recruited him back in the day, and on his podcast. Uh, I don't know. I won't go into that. Anyways. I could tell stories on Cox, but, um, but, uh, Cox and I were in Denver and he's like, Hey, we should do uh we should just drive a golf cart from here to like Salt Lake city. And I'm like, from Denver to Salt Lake, I'm like, that's a great idea. And uh, memories after all. Yeah. Anyway, I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm like, how, how are you do it? So we're like, anyways, so I tell my mom, I'm like, so like not even just like a week later, I just go buy like a $4,000 golf cart. We're like, <laughs> and he's like, I'm like, I got the golf cart. He's like, Oh, Oh yeah, we're in. So anyways, uh, we set it up. And then anyways, we were told my mom and everybody that we're doing this. So my mom's like, you should just do a charity and make it a charity. Cause there was a, there was actually a, a girl in uh, um, one of the small communities there that was actually dying of cancer and they needed money. And I was like, I was like, dang, I'm like, that's actually even better. So we just did it where we did a charity where you donated per mile. We drove in this golf cart at a solid 13 miles per hour. And, uh, and anyways, uh, in like we drove- desert sun. Yeah, the, the, the best part about it is, like, we literally drove from, like, Green River, Colorado. The Green River? No, it's not Green River. It's, uh, I don't remember. What, not, what's the, I can't remember the big city outside of it. Grand Junction. Sorry, Grand Junction, Colorado. We drove on, I think it was on the freeway. We drove I-70 all the way to Swine, and we didn't see one cop. Like, one cop. So you're just so driving on the shoulder? Yeah, we just drove on the shoulder. Just yeah, a couple buddies? On the shoulder. Now, do you drive on oncoming traffic or with traffic in a golf cart? Oh, I mean, I know the rules for a bicycle a yeah. bicycle, and like when you're jogging, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's so Do you want to get pushed or do you want to be able to dodge, right? The, the yeah. best part about the whole thing was um, right before Moab or after Moab, there's the big like ass turns that go all the way up. They're like really steep. And there's... And anyways, we're like driving up this and we come up, there's this car broken down. We pull up in this golf cart and this guy's looking at us. We pull up right next to him like, hey, you doing okay? He's like, 
<laughs> he's so confused and he's like yeah the cops are coming i'm like oh well have a good day see you he made us made a slow run car. for it <laughs> yeah we pull up there's another car there and oh my gosh dude the other car pull up and there's like four people are sitting there they looked over us and uh i'm like oh, have a good day guys so anyways was, and then we got pulled over in spanish fork and um that the, the best of the officers like what are you doing I'm like, we're doing a cart for cancer. It's charity. And he's like, I know. Why are you driving on the freeway? He's like yelling. He's mad. Like, and we're like, well, we drove from Grand Junction, Colorado. He's like, you drove this golf cart from Grand Junction, Colorado to here? And you didn't see one car? Or no, we pulled you over. I'm like, that is correct. And he's like, he's like, can't even believe it. He's just like, okay. So anyways, he let us drive the rest of the way to Salt Lake on uh on the highway or whatever but yeah we did the car for cancer so good memories how much did you raise i don't remember like 10 or 50 i don't remember what it was it was quite a bit though so how long did it take uh two and a half days brock morrison and uh, a lot of the other guys weren't they were the pit crew they were like going get us like they're going get us like burger king and stuff they weren't very happy about it so they're just like sitting in the truck waiting for us as we cruise like 13 miles per hour. <laughs> My buddy Brad and Brock and I, I think Rob. So it was pretty funny. Man. Good times. Oh, the pit yeah, crew. Hilarious. Um, how important is it for you to learn from other people? Are you are you someone that, that actively seeks the mentorship of others? Because I know you're a mentor for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I think you have ups and downs with this, right? Um, but yeah, I... I think it's crucial that you learn from uh, from everybody. Um, I, I think uh, I, I was talking about actually in our uh, Stockton meeting today that um, I, I was re- recommending a bunch of people go to boot camp and and they start taking some notes if they've been struggling because um, I'm like I go to boot camp and I learn something every time. And so like I think it's important that we're always evolving as salespeople. I think we get some success and then we think we. We think we like we've arrived in a sense and i've done that through my career where i went out and i i we did really well managing my very first year but i think you get a lot of an ego and so you like stop learning but then it's it's one of those things as soon as you stop learning you're going to coast like it's you're going to get you're going to get found out in a sense so you need to you need to make sure you're always growing and that you're always kind of pushing the needle to get to that to that next level but um i think you can learn from anybody um i sell a lot of old people and I ask almost all of my old customers, I ask them the same question. I just say, if you were to give me one piece of life advice, what would you say? And some of my golden nuggets have actually that I've written down and some of that stuff have come and come from some of my old customers that they've just given me life advice. And uh, some of them give me great marriage advice. Some of them give me great finance advice. Like, but I always feel like you can learn from somebody. So every one of my older customers, if they're 60 plus, I'm like, hey, you're obviously double my age. If there's one piece of advice you could give a guy like me besides go to the gym, what would it be? Because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm using into that one. I'm using into yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I using it for a couple down. years. I, I think I'm committed though now. I mean, I, I think I'm back up to like twice a week now. So I'm pretty committed. So that's a great dude. I bet, I bet they love doing that too. I bet it like unites you to them and everything like that. But what's the worst piece of advice an old person's ever given you where you're like, thanks, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Alcoholics. 
just it's all it's all on the bottle, my friend. Just soak it in. <laughs> like nothing matters anyways. Drink it up. Yeah, most Ty, you, I don't ask the advice to you, but yeah. Are you big on personal development? I mean, I know you spend a lot of time talking to your friends and asking for advice and things like that, but are you a big reader? Do you uh, listen to Audible? I mean, what kind of things are you doing to continue to develop as a leader? Yeah, I try to do 12 to 12 to 14 books a year. Um, couple, sometimes more, depending on how small they are. Um, uh, one thing about Salina, we didn't learn how to read very good, so Audible has really helped me a lot. So, um, but but uh, no, I just, just messing Salina. But uh, but I I feel like if you're not always listening to like podcasts or books or something. Like your mind wanders, right? And the hardest part with this job is you come in like, who, your whole life you've been wanted, you've wanted to be accepted and like like fit in and do everything, and then you come out of nowhere and you go sign up for this job, where they're like, yeah, you can make amazing money. You're like, cool, I'm in. And then you go and you like sign up to do like full rejection, like eighty percent of your time is just rejection. And so I look at it right now, if you look at sales reps and you look at leaders that aren't reading consistently, their tanks are never going to be filled. You've got to be listening to podcasts. You've got to be listening to books all the time. Um, I, I, I feel like if you're not, there's too much rejection out there that it, it's just, it wears on you after time or like frustrated customers or any of that stuff. It, it really does wear on you. So you have to be growing. And then I really believe that like focus um, and this is something I've struggled with because I think I might have a minor case of ADD. Okay. But focus is crucial, right? What we focus on is what we, what, what happens, what grows. And so your mind will wander. If you're listening to music and you're doing all these things, your mind can wander anywhere. And then you go to the doors and you get the negativity. So, and then I feel like you learn a lot of those nuggets along the way from um, a lot of these guys that have went on before you. And if you pay attention, there's a lot of good stuff out there. What's a, what's a book you've read this year that's impacted you? Like, what's a TMEC favorite most recent? Um, my, one of my all-time favorite books is uh, The Compound Effect. I love that book. I mean, it's super simple. I mean, I've read it way too many times now. Um, I, there's a, I like a lot of leadership books, um, but I like, I like John Maxwell's stuff. I feel like John Maxwell, I just signed up for his leadership mentoring. Um, where you basically go to his conference and do a lot of his leadership mentoring. But I'd say another book that everybody should read is The Strangest Secret. Um, the Strangest Secret, I, I think it's uh, it's $4 or $5. And it just talks about how we are what we think about. And that's something that, you know, um, you know, you look at your ups and downs in life or your ups and downs in, in your career. And a lot of that has to do with your thoughts and um, what you're thinking about and what you're actually talking about is what's coming to pass. Um, so talk right. about a time when you drove around the airport for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. So I don't remember if we hadn't moved to California. Anyways, uh, Jordan, we, I was at Corporal with Jordan Williams and I was, we were talking about something important. I couldn't remember what it was. And then we were both going to the airport to fly to California. And my wife was going to meet me out there or something. And then Jordan was like, just jump in with me and leave your truck. And then you can ride home with your wife or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Oh, that's a good idea. But I'd been out in California for like two weeks straight or three or something. 
So I flew home and I, I, I was in the parking lot just looking for my truck for like an hour. I'm like, I don't know if somebody stole this thing because it's not here, you know? I had no idea. I'm just like, freaking, I don't know this thing's here. So then finally this guy comes and picks me up, one of the guys that works there. We're driving around that thing. We go to the whole parking lot. He's like, I'm telling you right now, in 10 years of me working here, we've never had a vehicle stolen. Are you sure you parked it here? I'm 100% sure I parked this car here, dude. So anyways, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I was like, I can't remember who I called. I called somebody and all of a sudden I like clicked in my brain like four hours later after driving around with this guy at like midnight. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, it's a corporate. I look at the guy. I'm like, well, I'm an idiot. My truck is at corporate, and I apologize for wasting your time. But I'll go get an Uber <laughs> and head back. <laughs> the guy started laughing. He was like, oh, you're oh man. He, like, he knew it two hours ago, dude. He was just having. He was just creating memories with the big bud, dude. Yeah, he knew. He knew it wasn't there. Hey, uh, Ty. He I wanted to ask you about Stockton. So um, we were talking about this a little bit before we started, but you've got the the Diaz brothers out there, right? So you've got these big uh, UFC, uh, a huge UFC culture in Stockton. And Stockton's kind of known as a tough town. So um, what's it like having these guys? And Stockton's a small town. So you've got two of the most famous UFC fighters ever, especially Nate has gone against McGregor and all these other guys just had a fight last week. And what's it like having this um, really tough celebrity in your town? And do you feel like the town kind of like takes on his persona? And do you kind of feel like your team kind of takes that on? Like you guys have sort of embody this Stockton like toughness, you know? <laughs> well, we just rolled out. But I, I mean, truthfully, I wish we had. Um, but, but no, we've probably taken on more of a time Mick kind of like just grab a bevy mentality. Um, but no, I know we're, 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 uh, we're getting he's, better. easing into it. He's into, into it. Mentality. it. We're we don't, we don't want to get mangled. So. Come to my <laughs> office. We're just easing into it. Honestly, dude, uh, Stockton's just known for, uh, I mean, really it's known for like drugs and it's just known for pretty, it's pretty, pretty ghetto place. But, but I, I actually fought to come here and a lot of people, Jordan was like, thought I was crazy. And I, I've just learned that I like to live where people don't want to live. And I like to sell where people don't want to live and sell because I feel like it's a good market. And so that's why I chose Stockton. And I, I, I love Stockton, dude. People out here are awesome. It's a great market, but we probably do need them. We just rebranded the compound. So that's kind of, goes into that a little bit kind of well it's interesting it. you um you said you just said something it reminded me of something my dad used to always tell me which is if you're willing to do something that very few people are willing to do you're always going to have job security and so you know you went to a place that wasn't the sexiest market or the most desirable place to live and you not only have you built a career out of it but you've built a region out of it and you know you've built something crazy that stockton's been one of our markets for years and no one has taken advantage of it until you so that's pretty cool yeah those guys have done i mean Kevin and those guys did a pretty good job but yeah we've gotten better we, we got a long ways to go we're just we're just warming up over here we've been easing into it for a little too long so <laughs> hey ty talk about um you had a turning point in your um, direct sales career that i think a lot of 
especially people that are a little bit newer to it could relate to. Um, you know, it was a little bit different in alarms because we'd, we'd carpool out together and we'd get dropped off and you kind of wouldn't have much of a choice but to knock or sit in a gutter. And um, I know you had a moment in a gutter and I'm not bringing this up to be funny. I, I actually think the kind of the realization you drew at that point was really important. And I think I think a lot of reps need to get to a point where they actually face this job and choose it. But maybe talk through how you how you chose direct sales and what went through your head in that moment. Um, it was uh, my second year selling. Um, so my first year I went out and I just I did really well. I mean, I sold I was only out there for three months. and I think I did 120 or something in three months. And and so I was expecting to go and do 200 in the four months. You know, I was transferring to schools, had more time. And uh, I went to Indiana and man, I, I'd never sold like hood, like I never had. And it really, I couldn't sell them. Like I didn't know how to sell. Like I really struggled. My first week I did one. I remember it was a 600 credit score back then. I was like 600 even, like that was one. And I, and all these guys like Howard Nell and Luke Harrison and uh, Casey Dyering and, and I can't remember who else came out with me that year, but, but they were all killing it. And I'm like, dude, these guys are new. I'm supposed to be beating them. What the heck? And so I just got in this like negative rut and this negative mentality a little bit. And, and it was probably, um, I want to say three or four weeks into the summer. I mean, I've kind of caught up. I've had like a 12 week and then I kind of bounced back and, and stuff. And then, um, I, I, I was knocking and I don't know, man, it just, things weren't going well. And I felt like kind of like emotionally just unstable. I felt like I was just confused and I didn't know what to do. Like, I just felt like kind of alone, like in like kind of depressed and I never really felt that way. And, and it, it went on for a couple of days. And then finally I was knocking this neighborhood and like, I just was getting owned. Like, I mean, it was like just owned. And finally there's this like massive, like grass ditch. And I never sat down. Like I didn't take pride. I, I always took pride in like, I'm not, if I'm going to be in my area, I'm not, you're not going to drive by and catch me sit on a curb. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. And um, so anyways, I, I was sitting in this ditch crying and I'm like, you know, I'm 20, what, two or 23 years old. I'm a full grown man holding a freaking member of those like $2 binders crying <laughs> with brochures. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> and like, so finally I like, I call my mom and I'm like, mom, I can't do it. I, I just can't do it. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just can't do it. And she's like, yeah, you can. And I'm like, I can. And I'm like, she's like, yeah, you've always been able to do it. You've always figured it out. And I remember that call. I was just like, oh yeah, I always figure it out. I do always figure it out. I'm like, I'll figure it out. I'm like, thanks mom. Bye. And then I literally went and knocked the next door and sold it. And, and my mom probably didn't realize the power of that call, but I was like, I mean, I got over the crying by the time I'd called my mom and I was just telling her I was struggling, you know, but I, I mean, I, I hadn't been at that low of a point in, in a while. And so um, I, I feel like if you're, if, and, and, and I, I was thinking about this the other day, cause I was, I was working with some reps that are, have been struggling, but if you don't feel like quitting, and you don't feel like giving up, you're not pushing yourself. You're not pushing for your potential. And, and that's kind of what I've realized in life is like, when I want to quit, that's when I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like that's when I'm pushing the envelope and things are gonna open up and break through. And so that was a really defining point in my career. And then that next year, um, I was kind of hot and cold that whole summer. 
And that's why Minnesota that next year, I was like, I'm not going one day this entire summer without getting a sell. And I remember my grandpa or somebody passed away that summer. I had to fly home for a funeral. And I literally booked my fight, flight purposely so I'd have two hours to knock to get a sale before I went home because I wasn't going home without a, with, without a sale. And it's just that focus, that mentality, right, of just staying focused on what you want. But you're going to have that. Interesting point um, about the, the trying your hardest. And if you haven't been close to tear, I think all of us, the three of us can relate to that for sure. And then we all know dozens of guys that can relate to that. And it reminds me, I've probably shared this quote on the podcast before, but Jordan, Michael Jordan, uh, paraphrasing says, um, people purposely don't try their hardest just so they have a built-in excuse if they don't succeed. And the hardest thing to do is to commit to trying your absolute hardest at something, knowing you might fail at it. Right. And then the hardest thing is, is if you try your hardest and then fail. So how do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you commit to being willing to be vulnerable like that and being willing to try your hardest knowing you might fail? Because I think most of us naturally will kind of take the foot off the gas a little bit just so if we don't succeed, we have that built-in excuse. Yeah. I think I think I looked at it as when I was in Utah, I felt like I did some good things in Utah, but I also felt like I was probably at one of my weakest leadership points. And so when I came to NorCal, it was kind of a fresh start, even though I didn't know anybody coming here. Um, I took that as like a, a fresh start. Like, I'm like, look, I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna do what I'm supposed to do. I'm not gonna make excuses. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna whine. I'm gonna go in there and do the best I can. And you know what, you're, you're gonna fail. Like I've I've screwed up a lot in a leadership. You, you, you're gonna fail. And I think that that's the, the problem with this job is that you're going to fail. You're going to get rejected. Like, and if you're going to be a leader, guess what? You're going to fail. You're going to fall apart a couple of times. It's a matter of how fast you pick yourself back up and put, you know, brush yourself off and get back after it. And, and I, and I, I've just learned that I, I just don't like to be sad. I don't like to be depressed and that I'm more depressed if I'm not pushing myself and I'm kind of just in a, in a negative slump. And I think most people are the same way. They don't realize it, but they, they're really unhappy because they're actually not progressing and they're not pushing themselves to get to the next level. And, and so if you're in a slump right now, or you're struggling right now, I just challenge you to commit yourself to go give your very best. And it doesn't have to be your very best. Like a lot of times, like it's like me at the gym, right? I've struggled at the gym because I've eased into it or I went all in to where I can't walk. Okay. And so like, you've gotta, you've gotta make a game plan where you're very strategically that you're going out for four hours, you're giving your very best for that four hours, or you're going out for five hours, you're giving your very best for that five hours, and you're, you're staying committed to what you, you say you're doing because then you're gonna build a confidence that what you say actually happens. But a lot of times if we just say we're gonna hit a goal and we're gonna hit this goal and we're gonna hit this goal and we never hit the goal, then we don't believe ourselves. So then when you're in that, Bottom part doesn't matter what you tell yourself, what you tell your wife. They don't believe you. You don't believe yourself. You've got to change how you see yourself. You actually and how you talk to yourself. You actually develop the habit of not hitting goals, right? So it's like that becomes your new norm. Yeah. Talking to uh, some leader the other day, and I, I was, I, I saw this thing on Tony Robbins. If you've ever seen that cold plunge he has at his house, <clears throat> it's like a square, just like a hole in the ground. Yeah. And uh, I heard him talking about why he does it, and there's, you know, health 
benefits and stuff like that. But he says that he does it and he talks about his mind and his body kind of like two different people. And he says, I do the cold plunge so that my mind understands that when my body decides to do something that we do it. It's almost like teaching your kids or like teaching reps or something like that. But I think I think your commitment to be progressing and your your insight that you're only happy if you are, that's really important, man. Like what what other job gives you the ability to face that and develop it every day? You're essentially working out on your like soul, right? You're basically saying, hey, I'm going to go take 15 no's today, which is more than most people will take in their job ever. They get a little rejection. They're like, oh, I, that, I don't want to do that again. But in this job, you, you progress by standing out. It's not a job where we, where we fit in or meet the status quo. The very nature of the job stands out. So the only way to be successful, I think you've done a really good job at just wrapping your arms around that and saying, I'm not going to whine. I don't care about being embarrassed. I'm going to go do this. And then like you just develop this super confidence. I think you've articulated that really well. That's great. Um, one of my memories with you, Ty, is we were mountain biking in Moab. And when you mountain bike in Moab, you go to the place. Uh, I can't remember the name. I want to say Black Spider, but I think that's in uh, St. George. But all the mountain bikes have names on them. I don't know if you've been to this place, Adam, but we, we showed up and we're like, hey, we need like 52 mountain bikes. And everybody's <laughs> trying out their bikes to like make sure that they fit them and stuff. And Mickelson's on this bike with like this like extra tall frame. And he's got his back straight and a smile on his face and his helmet. And he just keeps going, big oil coming through. And then you look at the name on the bike and the bike is named Big Oil. So he's not just the big bud. He's also big oil. I do. When I saw that, I was like, that is the best nickname I've ever seen. You know, yeah. the juxtaposition from your job, the roots with the legend, big dude smiling on a mountain bike, dude, big oil coming through. Big oil. What's it, Ty, you've got a unique relationship with Chance. And uh, I mean, you've worked directly with him now for 16 years, right? So uh -huh. a lot of the guys listening to the podcast right now don't obviously no chance like you do including probably myself or or ty so what's your favorite chance story oh i don't know i our people i, I want chance? our people to get uh, no. i want to get our people to get no chance a little bit better and uh you know you can use your discretion what chance does is he'll always impress you like always like he'll surprise you with how good he is and I think that that's what people don't realize is how good he is. But chance of talking about evolving and getting better and like pushing yourself to the next level. That's one thing that I'd say I probably, probably learned that from chance in a lot of ways is that that's what chance is. That's kind of his personality. I mean, you look at him and, you know, his photography or anything, he, will, he just gets super competitive. He gets in that lane and wants to progress as, as much as he can. But he's a phenomenal leader. We're lucky to have him. I, I don't really have any like personal funny stories that, that, that I, I mean, I do, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> we you guys go hunt. You guys go hunting. You guys hunt together every year, right? Um, we have uh, once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. yeah Zach. I mean, I, I got, I mean, I've spent a lot more time with Zach, you know, than uh, old Z money. He's a good time. Ty, what are some of the ideas that you've done to create culture with your group? I feel like you're really creative with that kind of stuff, um, especially with making it kind of a family ordeal. Maybe as a, as a final question before we wrap up, what are some of your favorite things or what are things that people can implement that create memories and create good culture? 
Um, I, I feel like uh, just your culture, like your culture won't exist unless the wife's involved. I think that's number one. If you're trying to build a culture, you need to get the wife involved and the wife needs to be part of it. Um, if the wife's not bought in and she doesn't see the vision, it's really hard for them to come home. They're not going to have a support structure. So I'd say number one there, a lot of leaders will make a mistake with not getting the wife involved. So on recruiting meetings and all that stuff, I always invite the wife um, for all recruiting meetings. Um, I, I get them there for as many recruiting meetings as possible because then they're getting the vision, they're getting the opportunity just as much as the, the husband or, or vice versa, right? Um, but uh, so I do a couple of things like our culture right now, we do all core day. Um, so like the first working day of every month, um, we it's mandatory. We, we work from nine to nine. We have a call. We have a conference call at nine thirty, and then we work basically ten to ten to dark. Um, and that's been really good. Um, we probably saw about forty to fifty percent increase on those days. It's been a lot of fun. We do a big incentive, and it's created a cool culture. And then we have core five, our top our top five core guys on the on the quarter with permits submitted in each office. Um, so this Saturday we're doing a dinner down in Walnut Creek at a nice restaurant with the their plus one. And then we go to the. We're gonna to go to the really delicious ice cream place. Um, and uh, you look <laughs> forward to that, don't you, Mick? You're really happy about it's, it. I can see. <laughs> it, 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 it's really good. So, but uh, but yeah, we, we do. I think the culture there is is just getting involved. But um, you've got to get to know your people at a very personal level, and not from a leadership level. Um, I, I think that that's where we make mistakes a lot of times is just not knowing people really knowing them. I mean, you know people, but, but everybody wears a mask, right? Everybody has in social, like, in, like when they go out there in person, they, they kind of have a mask. You kind of got to take that mask off and say, okay, like, who really are you? What are we dealing with here? And once you do that and you get to know the wife, you get to know the, the husband, then you can build a really good culture, a really fun culture. Um, but I'd say um, culture-wise, um, the 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 greatest part of this job, and I'd say for even leaders or even like, I would say sales reps that are there, um, this is a big miss I've seen in solar is when I was a sales rep, I, our meetings were, I mean, I love Jared Howells. He's like, I love him. I'm still great friends with him. But Jared's trainings most of the time were like him reading out of an advanced selling strategies by Brian Tracy. And so like, that's, huh? You're yeah, reading a book together? No, no, yeah, he read the book in, in correlation. That was like our team meeting. And so me as a sales rep, I'm like, I'm like, hey, uh, Jared, um, I'm just gonna be a friend here and tell you like, these are pretty, they suck, like they're not good. <laughs> like, let's do some fun stuff here. And so like, he's like, what do you wanna do? I'm like, well, we could, let's do Warball. He's like, what's Warball? I'm like, I don't know, we can make it up, let's go. And so we just made up like Warball, where we used to do Warball all the time. Like, and my right shoulder still dead from it. We'd take all these tennis balls and we'd go to tennis ball court and play dodgeball. And dude, it was a riot, you know? And then like another culture-wise too, is like as a sales rep, like you can go to your managers and say, hey, what if we implemented this? Like bring your energy to the meeting. Like just because you're a sales rep doesn't mean that you can't change the entire culture of that team. You coming excited, you coming focused, you coming hitting your goals, it changes the whole dynamic of the team. And if you want to grow into being a leader and you want to grow like with this job, you've got to be the very best salesperson you can. And then vice versa as a leader, you need to think through it and like think, okay, how can we build a better culture here? And then how can we we really implement this or get people involved? And well you and, you nailed and, something, Ty, just to just to before you move on to the next thought. Um 
we get a lot of reps that will come to us with ideas and even DMs that will come to us with ideas. The problem is if their production, uh, their production sort of earns them the, the, like a listening ear, right? So it's like, if your top rep comes to you with an idea on how to improve culture in your meeting, you're going to listen to him because he's one of your top reps. Like his production is given him permission to, to have an idea that you're willing to listen to. If you're a rep listening and you're on the bottom of the, the list, it, it almost doesn't matter how great your idea is. If you come to your leader and you have the idea, your lack of production is it sort of discredits your idea. And so if you're a rep like going, man, how can I change the culture of my team? Like you're saying, like any rep can change the culture of a team. And they're wondering, well, how can I do that? You got to be a top performer. If you're a top performer, that gives you permission to have your ideas heard and validated and, and, and implemented. Right. I say, well, I say even then like top performer, I don't even think you need to be a top performer. And I said, I just think you need to be hitting your weekly win. Maybe hitting three right. and one or four and two or something where it's just the consistency. And I think you mm-hmm. should get dialed in. And that, that would change the dynamic of the entire culture of the team is them hitting that and then them implementing you know, different ideas and, and bringing energy to the correlation, wanting to learn, wanting to get better, wanting to help, you know, you got to think, how can we evolve and make life-changing money? Like this opportunity is now, like, let's not waste it. Let's capitalize on it. Like it could be different in three months. It could be different in six months. We don't know, but we know it's really good right now. We need to capitalize right now. I think that's great. Mick, you're a legend yourself, buddy. Appreciate you sharing with us. I love your perspective. I love that these are so fun, dude. I always enjoy spending time with you and I appreciate your energy. So well, thanks guys. Appreciate well, thank you, guys. you so much Mick. for sharing with us, brother. We love you. Thanks for all you do, man. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I love you guys. Later. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric. <laughs>